Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast, where we ditch the fads and bring you the latest research on exercise to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Herlihy, an exercise physiologist with Discover Strength. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan Emmett Hurley. I'm the host here of the Discover Strength podcast, an exercise physiologist at Discover Strength, and so excited to be joined today by Dr. Michael Joyner, MD at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Dr. Joyner, I'd love you to jump in, introduce yourself, sure. tell us a little bit about your uh, experience with Mayo and what your specialty might be, all that sure, good stuff. Sure, Logan. I'm, a, I'm an anesthesiologist, but I'm also a physiologist. And anesthesia is very physiologically oriented. My interest in physiology are things like exercise, hypoxia, how humans respond to blood loss, how people uh, respond to other sorts of physical and mental stress. But I've been in that, interested in exercise for a long time. Uh, I'm in my early 60s, and I actually started working in an exercise lab at the University of Arizona in my teens. So I've been doing this for a while. I love that. Is that, is that exercise lab still there at, at U of A or it has is, it changed? It's, it's changed and, and morphed, but the department's still quite strong there. And uh, there are still people doing outstanding exercise uh, work in Tucson. And I came to uh, Mayo uh, June 15th in 1987, thinking I'd stay for a few years and, and get my training done and go back to Tucson. But I've obviously been here almost 35 years as we speak. Uh, you're you're a crazy person, then, sir. I don't know why most of our Minnesotans here yeah, yeah. leave to go down to where you were. And Correct. You just came up here, so yeah. Um, no, that, Mayo's a great place to work, and, and I've really been able to uh, pursue a lot of very interesting things here, uh, uh, both related to exercise and and some stuff here during the pandemic and so forth, Logan. Yeah. But and, but yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and we, and we we brought you on today because I'd love to hear more about your experience with exercise and uh, physiology. And um, we actually heard about Dr. Joyner for many of you who've listened to our previous episode or a couple episodes back uh, with Christy Ashwanden, uh, the writer of Good to Go, uh, an amazing book for anybody who's not read it yet. Definitely pick it up about recovery modalities. Um, and she actually is the one who told me about Dr. Joyner um, and sort of mentioned your experience with exercise, the fact right. that you're a physiologist. Um, and I'd love to just sort of get your background. Like what got you interested in exercise? So, so Logan, I was a pretty good runner in high school. I ran track for the University of Arizona. And I was a subject in the late 1970s in a study that looked at the relationship between lactic acid in the blood, what some people call the anaerobic threshold and distance running performance. And that was a very pioneering study. And uh, once I started running on the treadmill and having my blood drawn uh, for, for the researchers there, I said, boy, this is for me. And there was a very famous uh, professor there named Jack Wilmore, who had two excellent graduate students, Pete Farrell and Eddie Coyle. And I just started kind of working with them and doing more and more things and kind of glommed onto it. And then uh, met some of the physicians affiliated with the lab and, and decided to go to medical school. Uh, really with the goal of doing physiological research. And so my early stuff was on things like human performance and, um, uh, you know, why people can run faster and so on and so forth. But then it drifted into control of skeletal muscle, blood flow, and some uh, things like that that are exercise related. So what makes blood flow to your skeletal muscles go up? It can go up a lot. And then the general health effects of exercise. But, But throughout all of it, I've really uh, had a big interest in just how people train 
Is this form of training better than that form of training? What are some of the theories about training? Uh, how do how do people uh, you know get in shape who haven't been in shape before? If you have limited time, what is the best way to use that time? If you want to get in shape, that sort of thing. So I've got this long interest in it, and I discuss these things with Christy and a couple of other people on kind of a perpetual email chain all the time. So is that how you and Christy sort of cross paths originally? She was doing some research. For yeah, the book, I, I think it was that, and I think she knew David Epstein, and then David and and I know Amby Burfoot, who used to be the editor of Runner's World, and then everybody sort of knows Brad Stolberg and and Steve Magnus, who are writing these terrific books on you know, the mental aspects of life. And, uh, and so we all just sort of email back and forth. And before he died, Terry Laughlin, the person behind uh, Total Immersion Swimming was part of the group as well. So we send things back and forth of interest. Today, for example, or last couple of days, there's been a whole bunch of kids break four minutes for the mile in the last year or two. There's been new technology uh, adapted to running spikes, uh, the same technology that helped uh, Elliot Kipchoge break two hours in the exhibition marathon. And some of that technology has been applied to spikes. So the question is, are the kids, quote, getting faster or are they just running with, with shoes that give them, you know, a, a few seconds of mechanical advantage? So that sort of thing, we bounce back and forth all the time. Oh, yeah, that's super interesting. And for for people who haven't heard, I think uh, David Epstein, you mentioned, um, does a fantastic job. I know he's done a couple of TED Talks uh, online that are available that talk about some of those performance differences. Right. This is a little off topic, but I find super interesting. Correct. Um, you know, it, uh, comparing guys like um, Carl Lewis versus Usain Bolt, right? Did one Correct. really those run faster things, than the yeah. other? Yeah, super, super interesting physiological stuff. Well, I'd love to hear what what was your actual, maybe post-college? It seems like you had kind of an interesting journey because it looks like you, you went to med school, but you have this interest in exercise physiology. Right. You don't see a lot of, maybe I'm mistaken, right. You don't see a lot of MDs publishing papers, and I was able to come across what, a few of yours. What happened is, 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 is because I got involved at a very young age, you know, I was not a particularly serious student, Logan, until I got involved in the exercise lab. And so it's what happens level, when you go to school in Arizona. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so what happened is, is, you know, I, I tell people my brain was empty when I got involved with exercise research when I was 19, and I was able to fill it up. Uh, with all sorts of interesting things. And, and I was able to work in a really, really good lab uh, that was state of the art. All that was just sort of dumb luck with excellent professors and excellent graduate students. And it became pretty clear early on that some of the people who were doing cutting edge research in human subjects, doing muscle biopsies, putting catheters in and doing all sorts of things. Many of them were physician scientists in uh, Scandinavia. So I really went to the to medical school with the idea that I might become a physician scientist. So in addition to doing patient care, I would have most of my uh, professional effort be devoted to research. So that's, that's really what, um, what, what I uh, got into it. And then I was thinking of going into cardiology or, or pulmonary medicine because of the obvious uh, interactions with exercise. But then I was uh, doing a surgical rotation at the veterans hospital in Tucson, the veterans administration hospital saw um, an operation and notice that, that the anesthesiologists measure respiration just like we do during an exercise test. They measure heart rate just like we do. They measure blood pressure. So it was kind of flip side of the same coin. And so I went into anesthesia and, and then continued this interest in exercise, things like hypoxia, blood loss, how humans respond to hot and cold, that sort of thing. 
So I, I think I can kind of answer the question on this sure. one, but, but as a, as a physician, why do you think exercise is important and just big picture? Um, yeah. What do you think some of the benefits are for the overall health uh, of a population that probably needs some, some exercise? You bet. You bet. Well, I, I mean, I think you can come at that at a number of levels. First of all, animal, animals are designed to move. So you, you, you really have a whole collection of things that if, or if you don't use it, you lose it. So that's one thought. Two is, you know, you have these well-known effects of exercise on things like reducing the risk of diabetes, reducing the risk of high blood pressure, reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, so forth. So just a long laundry list of, of health benefits. Exercise probably helps you uh, at least uh, reduce your chances of gaining a lot of weight. Uh, and then I think the other thing is, and I, I just saw a paper today, there's pretty good evidence that physical activity and exercise are, are relatively protective against things like depression. So I think there's four or five reasons to do it in a myriad of, of things that, that uh, are good for your health. The other interesting thing, Logan, is if you say, well, you get a little per bit of improvement here, a little improvement there, a little improvement on some other risk factor, when you add them all up together, the total of the improvement is greater than the simple sum of the parts. So it's not a three plus three equals six situation. It's a three times three equals nine situation. And more like a three plus three plus three equals nine, three times three times three is 27. So you get kind of a, a synergy or a, a bunch of multipliers working. And you're, uh, you're doing a lot of uh, a foreshadowing to some of my other questions right, as sure. well. So, so that's great. Um, and I promise I didn't, I didn't pay ahead of time no, to, no, to do all. this. So I, I'd love to hear, we, we had a gentleman on, may, you may or may not be familiar with him uh, in season one of our podcast. His name is Dr. Doug McGuff. Um, he wrote a book uh, called Body by Science with another gentleman named John Little. Mm -hmm. um, but Doug is a ER surgeon in South Carolina. Right. Um, and one of the things we talked about was sort of the the general disease state of the general population. Now, obviously we've talked about some of the benefits of exercise right. and things they can do. I just love to, to sort of hear your take. Um, and you can right. be politically correct as you need to being at no, Mayo Clinic. No, I, I think, I think it's really straightforward. So, yeah. so somebody has said, if you look at inactivity as opposed to activity, if you look at inactivity related diseases, you know, inactivity per se plays a huge role in cardiovascular disease, a huge role in metabolic diseases like diabetes, a huge role in, in behavioral health conditions like depression, and even is uh, uh, protective against, uh, like I think about 15 of the 13 leading causes of cancer. So, so I think when you look at in, the, the, the disease burden associated with inactivity is quite high. If you look at people who are inactive, you know, through middle age, uh, their, their ability to live independently as they get older uh, in their 60s and 70s is, is reduced. And so what you have is a whole collection of things associated with inactivity-related disease, a risk of early frailty, a risk of not being able to do what you want to do when you're 65, 70, 75. And you also uh, look at, at a, a life of, of slowly declining health. Sometimes people die suddenly, but a lot of times they have a hit to their health, another hit to their health, another hit to their health. And people who are physically active, physically fit are less likely to have those hits. The hits are likely to be a little bit smaller and they're likely to be more resilient as they, they bounce back. So the theory is, is you, you, you flatten the mortality curve and then you, people, you know, live a long time and then die quickly if they're physically fit. And so uh, that's sort of the uh, kind of the pitch for healthy aging. 
Yeah. And as a practitioner, I mean, just mm-hmm. outside of the research in general, is that something you feel like you see? I can, I can just share an anecdote. I was actually in Mayo mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago. My, my girlfriend's father was uh, yep. getting a heart surgery. And it seemed like it's the people who were there in the ICU were, are the type of people we're, we're talking about who are maybe suffering from some inactivity related uh, issues. Is that something you see on a daily basis? Uh, well, I think, any, any, I think anytime you work in medicine, you see an awful lot of inactivity related diseases. Other times you see people, you know, that are coming for cataract surgery or something like that, that are otherwise quite healthy. So, so it just depends on where you work in medicine, what you do. But I, I think there's, there's no secret that, that lifestyle related diseases uh, really dominate, dominate, um, you know, health in, in rich countries really dominate uh, because until the COVID situation, infectious disease was not a huge killer. And, and the big killers were cardiovascular and, and a coronary artery disease and also uh, cancer. And again, those have huge lifestyle related components to them. So, so what can we do, I guess, uh, from a right. practicing perspective is, you know, obviously our audience knows some of the benefits of exercise, but I think it's important to hear people outside of our specific right. field uh, talk to those things and specifically a medical practitioner. What, what do you do personally? How do you take care well, of your meat vehicle? What are the things you're yeah. doing to, to, so, to stay long and healthy? Well, well, it, I actually follow a classical hard, easy training plan. Uh, again, I was a pretty good endurance athlete uh, when I haven't been able to run as much because of a, a kind of a, a arthritic foot. I've done a lot of swimming, done some biking, used the Peloton during lockdown and so forth. And I've been doing a lot of strength training recently. So what I do is I, I try to do three or four hard workouts a week. And I go a hard day, which will go for an hour, which will be quite intense. And then an easy day will be 30, 45 minutes of easy, easy stuff with just kind of light cycling, light rowing, some stretching, that sort of thing, and give you a chance to recover. So a hard day, a day of active rest, a hard day, a day of active rest, and so forth. So yesterday I warmed up for about 10 or 15 minutes. I did about a 25-minute circuit uh, of drop sets. And I ho- hopefully, I know you know what those are, Logan, but I'm sure yeah. you're, hopefully you're, some of your... Uh, They'll be, they'll be somewhat familiar. We, with, we would call them like breakdown sets. Yeah. Correct. Because uh, I have a pretty extensive uh, workout area in my house. And then I did some high intensity cycling, uh, uh, eight times one minute, you know, at 350 watts or so uh, with 30 seconds of easy cycling in between. Because I, I can have pretty good power output, even though I'm 64, three, almost 64. And that and then cooled off. So that took about an hour. And today... I was working on some uh, scientific papers, writing scientific papers. So every hour I would get up and ride my bike kind of around the block just to give myself some break. And then I just got done doing 30 minutes of easy cycling. Uh, And then tomorrow I'll do pretty much what I did yesterday again. So obviously that's not a huge time commitment you outlined there. No. Just just to give you an idea of, of what we recommend to our clients. Yeah, sure. Uh, Dr. Joyner has not been to a Discover Strength before. He's not no. super familiar with the concept. Is twice a week, um, hard, uh, you know, high intensity training. Yep. We're taking exercises to momentary muscular failure. So exactly. Yep. So we're asking our, our um, clients to, you know, train yep. hard twice a week. For somebody who maybe doesn't have time, what would you say would be an optimal strategy? Well, uh, and if you think about that, I mean, if, if you look at what I described, uh, I basically do that three times a week because the drop sets are a way to get to ma- momentary muscular failure. Uh, and, and then I add the aerobic stuff on top of it. And then today was just, again, 
a warm up, loosen up, active rest day. And the goal of today was just to get less sore from yesterday to just kind of get the kinks out, move around and, and really prepare for tomorrow. But I think there's an awful lot of data, especially in the strength training literature, that people going two or three times a week uh, can 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 do very well with a whole body uh, training session that, that gets eight or 10 exercises. I don't know how many you have people do. Uh, right about that. X, X amount of reps with large, large muscle groups and so forth. And this really harks back uh, to the old uh, uh, Nautilus principles that, that have a legendary charismatic uh, innovator named Arthur Jones came up with and, and somebody whose principles still work, especially if do you guys do the negative reps at the end. We do sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Right. There's a great, um, yeah, there's some great videos of, of, of this old school stuff from the, 70s in particular. So yeah, I, I think it's a great way to do it, especially if people are able to build in sort of physical activity in the rest of their life, walking around, walking the dog, park a little farther away, so on and so forth. So I think if you can do that, that's great. But the two times a week with the sort of strength training uh, you're talking about will certainly get people an awful lot of benefits strength-wise. So from a benefits perspective, we talked about some of the negative consequences that inactivity can provide to people. What are some of the things people can be looking for in the short term as markers? Um, And is there any way that they can maybe test those things to say, hey, I'm trending in the right direction? Oh, I think one of the wonderful things about strength training is, is you, you know, you get so you can do more. And some of that happens pretty quickly. In, because in addition to your muscles getting bigger and stronger, they're, they're, you, know, you get more coordinated and the nervous system gets so it can recruit the muscles a little bit better. So I think that's helpful. And then I think, you know, you have this sort of vanity plays, even if people aren't losing weight, a lot of times they're kind of rearranging their body and, and uh, notice that their, their weight maybe has only changed a pound or two, but their waist is a little bit smaller, their shoulders and arms and, and, and uh, quads and so forth are bigger. So I think you can see those sorts of things. Uh, can happen right away. Uh, everybody has to just sort of judge their own mood. But again, I think that those those sorts of things uh, are, are are things that that could become very apparent to people right away. Yeah, and that's that's definitely something we see in our clients all the time. Is just you know after even a few weeks. Um, obviously objective strength improvements, probably Correct. a lot of neuro neuromuscular coordination, but people just start to feel better. Right. And, Correct. um, as soon as that happens, that's when we start saying, you know, be more well, active, do more walking, do those sorts correct. of things. And I, I think Logan, the thing is, is that when people start doing what you're describing, uh, training on a regular basis, uh, and again, and I think training is a word we need to use more maybe working out as a word we should use less when people start training on a regular basis. You know, the other thing that's happened here, in addition to the physiological things we've talked about, is they're starting to do something to take control of their life, doing something for themselves, doing something to improve their adaptability and, and, and ability to uh, be resilient. So I think that's the other thing that they get a sense of ownership a little bit of their health. Yeah, I love that. I'm underlining that right now. Train more, work out less, and be resilient. Yeah. I think those yeah. are some some great takeaway points. I, it, it seems like the society we live in, Dr. Joyner, people are always looking for the easy fix. And I noticed in your your paper, I was I was going through the 2014, uh, the integrative biology of exercise. Oh, sure. yeah. You guys talk briefly about this idea of, is there ever going to be an exercise pill? Is there going to be something we could potentially take that would give us those benefits that we know we can get from things like right. interval training or resistance training, Arthur Jonesian style? What is the what has kind of evolved since then in the last eight years? And do you think that's something that could be on the on the future? 
All right, we're back, Logan. <laughs> Perfect. You, yeah. 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 You just asked me, you just asked me, you know, will there ever be an exercise pill? And there will be, you know, pills that can do certain things. I mean, statins lower your your cholesterol and there are drugs that improve your blood pressure and so forth. But if you look at the multimodal effects of exercise, there's never going to be a single pill that, that, that covers all those bases. And there's also never going to be a pill that gives you that great sense of engagement, sense of accomplishment, does the mental things that you get when you exercise train. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I kind of knew where your head was at because I took a piece out of this yep. paper, which I, I think is awesome. It's exercise training provokes widespread perturbations yeah. in numerous cells, tissues, and organs conferring multiple health promoting benefits. And it is the multiplicity and the complexity of these responses and adaptations that make it highly improbable that any single pharmacological approach could ever mimic such wide ranging effects. I just love that. I'm going to share that with all my clients going yeah, forward. Well, it's a, you, it's a you got to put in the work. Yeah, it's a mouthful. <laughs> we'll send it at the end of emails, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, no, no, that's great. Um, is is there any other parting wisdom, Doctor Joiner, that you think for people who are really struggling with this idea? Maybe they've been told that they're pre-diabetic. Um, maybe they're on their way to some chronic health uh, conditions that that they think might be irreversible. What would you right. say are some of the first steps that people could take? Um, obviously, besides just train more, what are some of those first things you well, would say that I, they should do? I think do? I think you have to educate themselves, and I think that you know. In general, a uh, physical activity program and maybe some modifications in your diet, uh, paying attention to things like getting an adequate sleep, don't drink too much, obviously never smoke. I think starting to take uh, control of those sorts of things, take command of those sorts of things, try to make a series of small changes. You know, the Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't boil the ocean, all that stuff, Logan. And then just begin to work towards setting some goals and get in a, a situation where you have some accountability. Now, I'm very lucky because I'm able to, to work out hard and train hard really by myself. That's very unusual. Uh, most people need a group. They need some accountability. They need a training partner. While sure, you can exercise alone, go for a walk, go for a jog, ride your bike and so forth. A lot of times it's, it's easier if people are, are doing it in some, some group format or, or, or again, with somebody who can help them remain a bit accountable. So I think do that, set intermediate goals, uh, try to take a few bites out of the problem. And what I tell people is never miss more than uh, three or four days in a row. That's what I try never to do is miss more than three or four days in a row. And really probably the number of times I miss more than one day in a row in a year is, is somewhere between zero and two or three. I mean, I have to be really quite sick to do it. And that could mean, you know, walk, walking laps at the Minneapolis airport. If, if I just really pressed and don't have something else to do. Yeah. But yeah. And that, I, I think those are so many great points. And, and again, it's obviously there's, there's people like you and me who, who find a lot of joy Correct. in doing these things early on. I think you just have to sort of find the things that work for you. So maybe it's correct. And I, I'd hope you'd agree with this, but maybe it's that walk around the block, right. That gets your kind of foot, Get wet, foot in the door. Get yep. started get started, do something, find something that works for you. And I think it's so important there too, Dr. Joyner, especially starting off is having some sort of support system, whether it's a training buddy, whether it's a personal trainer at some place like discover strength doesn't have to be there. Some sort of accountability partner um, that's going to go all in with you. um, We're lucky because, because I started as a kid, it looks like you probably did too. So you were used to being on a team, you were used to having coaches and so on and so forth. So for people that have not had that experience or it's been you know, years or decades since they have, what you described can be very helpful. 
Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you joining yeah. us uh, this evening. And for anybody uh, that does need any sort of procedures, if you go up to Mayo, best place oh. in uh, Minnesota, for sure, you may run into Dr. Joyner. Um, are there any parting thoughts, other wisdom you'd like to share with us? I, I really love this train more, workout less, be resilient. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience before I let you go? Don't permit what you cannot do to interfere with what you can do. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much All for right, joining nice us. Nice visit, sir. Logan. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you, you guys for listening. We look forward to seeing you all again soon.